I'm going to be reading Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through Him by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that afflictions produces endurance and endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then? Since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death spread to all people, because all sinned. In fact, sin was in the world before the law, but sin is not charged to a person's account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression. He is a type of the coming one. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if by the one man's trespass the many died, how much more have the grace of God and the gift which comes through the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflowed to the many. And the gift is not like the one man's sin, because from one sin came judgment, resulting in condemnation, but from many trespasses came the gift, resulting in justification. Since by the one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So then, as the, through one trespass, there is condemnation for everyone. So also, through one righteous act, there is justification leading to life for everyone. For just as through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so also through the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. The law came along to multiply the trespass, but where sin multiplied, grace, multiplied even more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord.
Amen. Gosh, I love that passage. You can have a seat. We're going to have to lower it here. Happy New Year. Gosh, I know everybody had a different year this year. Um, Some of us had great years in which we are totally excited. I know a few even looking around this room, you've lost people you've loved and made it hard, but... Man, I'm so glad at the end of this year, Jesus is still king sitting on his throne and he reigns and he rules and and in spite of it, even the heartache and the difficulty, whatever we walk through, man, I am so thankful. God is good all the time. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to be back in the book of Romans. If you got your Bibles, you can open up to the book of Romans. Uh, We took a little bit of a time to kind of just look at this idea of the incarnation, specifically around love over the last few weeks, over the Christmas season, but for the next few weeks until Easter, we're going to be back in the book of Romans, so I invite you to grab your Bible and turn to Romans 5 is where we're going to be. We're not going to go through the whole thing. I I was going to go through the whole thing, but instead I just wanted to hit these first five verses because I really wanted to make sure that we kind of had an idea and wrapped our mind around it. Now, I'm going to throw a picture up there. You like that? So my daughter got a new camera this year, and in getting a new camera, we also got her like whatever the photo thing, Photoshop or whatever it is, right? And so we were learning together how to do Photoshop. And so we decided to each make an image of what we felt like the year was like. And so my daughter made a really nice one. It was really cute and and I appreciated it. And then I made this one. This is what I felt like this last year was like. Now, not just my home, but let me put it this way. Did anybody else feel like in the world, it just was, everybody was angry? Like, and I don't mean just on like a geopolitical level or like on a grand, you know, Democrat, Republican level, but I felt like almost everywhere I went, even a lot of places where people shouldn't have been angry because they don't live in Southern California, is that everybody was just like really angry this year. Now, I think in some ways, like we ask the question, you know, like, well, gosh, why are we so angry and where did we get there? And why is this world, and I think it's just a grander question that we're asking, why is this world just so wrong? Why is it messed up? Now, what Paul's going to do, and this is what's so important with the book of Romans, we tend to use it as a book about how to get salvation, but Paul, it's not less than that, but he's trying to convey out of the book of Romans, this is so much bigger. In fact, this word that he's going to use is that sometimes this word justify or this word righteous is this word oftentimes just what it means is just God is writing the world. In fact, every aspect of the book of Romans is telling the story and the narrative that though humanity has rejected God and sinful and has walked away from him in rebellion and chose to find its love in other things besides God, our God will not quit and our God will right the world. And I would just say it this way so that we can make sure that we're going in the same direction. Our God cannot be stopped. Now, why is it though that we end up like like this? Well, and it's funny that Darren's here because I saw this out at your place because you had the silent disco out at your place, right, Darren? Tell the truth, shame the devil, didn't you? (laughs) Wasn't it your place, the silent disco thing? No, he's okay. He's looking at me like I don't know what I'm talking about. So anyway, has anybody ever seen silent disco before? Remember this when I used this before? Okay, silent disco, they all put on their headphones, right? And they've got a different color and they go in there and different groups of people are listening to different music and it's really quiet in there except for the fact that everybody's dancing, except they're just dancing to different music. 
Well, Paul is trying to convey this idea that what happened to humanity the moment that we rejected God and went rebellion against him is we kind of like Frank Sinatra the moment. We did it our way. And in doing it our way, this is what happens to humanity. It just begins to fracture all of humanity across the place. And we're living in a long line of humans that are just fractured. In fact, the way that I would put it is, to kind of be more, is that in the midst of this, in the midst of everyone dancing to their own song, and the way that Satan is crafty, the way he pulls them together, and I would just say this, the way he pulls together men or women, the way he pulls together Democrats or Republicans, the way he pulls together different racial groups, the way he pulls together all kinds of different people to start dancing to a song other than the one that God has created within this world, the only outcome is, is it's going to be messy. You see this inside of marriages, you see this inside of families, you see it everywhere. And this is what Paul's really writing about is to help us to understand what is God doing in this world? How is he writing this world and how do we join him? Now, if you remember right from what the series we just went through, let me just kind of <coughs> read this real quickly. It's a quote from Tim Keller that we used to talk about kind of this idea of love. But here's the thing I want to get is this very last sentence. In all of these things that God is doing and how he is uniquely operating it creates, he says, a dynamic pulsating dance of joy and love. <coughs> now with this, this is really important. This is the rhythm that God put into the world. His heart and who he is and his triune self, when he created the world, it was great. In fact, the Bible says over and over again, it was good. But when humanity rejected God, here's the kicker, it began to then decay and to fall apart and it went into chaos. And that's kind of what we live in today. Now, what Paul is going to write about, though, is, is we have to now be a group of people that listen to a correct song. You're going to see this like in Romans 12. He gets to the very end of it, and he says, listen, in the midst of everything that's going on, you have to be able to attune yourself to this song that God has created, this dance that he's a part of. We need to now, and this is where he says it, in light of everything that God has done for us, we need to now become these living, holy acceptable sacrifices, pleasing unto God, which is our spiritual service of worship. We're not to be conformed to the world, but we're to transform the renewing of our mind. Why? So that we can now understand the will of God so that we know how to live. Now, here's going to be my main point today, and I want this to come across this way. We as Christians, I believe, have sold our birthright for a bowl of soup. Our birthright is that God is transforming us and making us into the image of Jesus Christ. And the greatest, most valuable component of that is that we will not only one day be made perfect, but right now God is making us complete and whole. And we are to strive after and to enjoy that with everything that we are. That's what we got into in this idea of now living by the correct story. God and what he is doing, if we were to think about what is the main theme in the Bible, is he's building a relationship with humanity and building this relationship to enjoy and to rule over this world. And in so doing, that's what we are designed to be. We're designed to be in relationship with God. And we're going to talk about here in just a second how God fixes that, how he makes it right. But we all know that, again, humanity, what they did was, is God was the main character. We made ourselves the main character and the earth was absolutely shattered into chaos. But this is what Paul is calling us back to. It's because of the work of Jesus Christ, because of what he's done on the cross, what he did in rising from the tomb and the inbreaking of the resurrection, we now can live the story God's called us to. We can, and we talked about this idea of, of improving. 
We can know how we're supposed to live, not perfectly. I don't want anybody to ever leave here and think somehow that we as Christians can live perfectly. We fail all of the time. I mean, I've been trying to talk to my wife about that for quite a while. <laughs> about me, of course. But no. Like, seriously, this is what I want us to get. We can live with power. Why? We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. We are indwelt by the living God. Paul is writing this letter, and we're actually going to now be introduced to the Holy Spirit today in chapter 5, is that we need to quit living by the flesh anymore, he's going to tell us in chapter 6, but instead we can live these lives in which we are the people that God intended us to be, and now we can join God in writing the world. And I would say it this way, as husbands and wives, we can join God in writing the home as kids, we can actually be obedient. We can actually live with our parents in such a way that's different and unique. Let me just say this. I see a few teenagers in here right now this morning. Let me just say this bluntly as I can. Do not buy into the lie that says that you're a teenager and you can't walk radically with God. That is a lie from the pit of hell because I've read the Bible over and over again and some of the greatest things done in the Bible were done by teenagers. Don't buy into that. God is recreating us to be the people he's intended us to be. And in this world in which our schools feel like they're falling apart and our communities feel like they're falling apart, we have the answer. We have the good news in Jesus. You do not need to be ashamed of it, Paul tells us, because this is the answer to what the world is dying for, is this good news that Jesus is king and he rules over all things and he is making all things right. So that's where Paul is going. And we don't have to settle for this. Now, let's be honest. Sometimes I feel like this is what the church looks like. Anybody? I mean, not Cornerstone, but you know, those other churches besides us. <laughs> There's just a lot of anger. We're all frustrated over stuff that doesn't even matter. But yet here is Paul riding into this group of people in Rome, and he's going to be calling them to something absolutely incredible. Now, in chapter 5, this is where he begins. Let me read this over so we can kind of, I just wanted to give us kind of a run-in before we get into chapter 5. He says this, therefore, and anytime we see the word therefore, we ask the question, what? What's the therefore, therefore? It's pointing us back in light of everything that I've just written. I think this is what he's doing. Since we've been justified by faith, look at this statement. We have peace with God. God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, I'm going to use some different colors today to kind of mark out because I want you to see some things as we walk through this passage. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to import in all the stuff that we've done because Paul says, therefore, right? So I want to pull in all the information he's already given us and I'm going to read this verse just a little bit differently for us. Therefore, since we've been righted, made right by, and here's faith, trust and surrender to, allegiance to Jesus Christ our Lord, <coughs> we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've also obtained access by trust and surrender to and allegiance to Jesus Christ our Lord into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice. And here's the way we define hope, certainty of God's faithfulness of the glory of God. Now, here's the thing that he's now going to tell us. In light of all those things, there's two amazing realities that are going to come out of this. And one is connected to this word peace, which you can't see very well on your screen. But 
It's the other one is, is this word of grace. Now let's kind of talk those through a little bit so we can kind of talk about what is God seeking to do in the world in and through us. Well, the word peace, it's this Greek word arene, which also kind of comes from a Jewish word, which means shalom. I like that word a lot better, shalom. Now, what we tend to do is to think of peace like psychologically, you know, where it's just like uh, the other day, um, I was looking back at pictures of when I went into the mountains, man. And anytime I go into the mountains, it's just, to me, it is shalom. It is when I hear the babbling brook and I hear the, the, the birds chirping. It's all those things that I hear that I tend to think that is shalom, but that's actually not shalom. Shalom has to do with everything, and it goes back to our word being right. It's not a position of the emotion or how I feel at the time. It is the position of how God has declared it. All of those that are in Christ Jesus that have been righted, they are currently right now right with God. There is nothing between you. Remember I said God wants to build a relationship? Well, the way that he builds this relationship between him and people that have rebelled, between, uh, rebelled against him is he's got to make things right. But the moment that things are made right, and especially this is what we got to get into our heads, we are no longer, Paul's going to tell us, enemies of Jesus, of God anymore. We are now at peace with the God of the universe. That's crazy. We are right the other day, one of my kiddos, you know, we went, I mean, this doesn't happen very often in my family, but you know, it happens, it happens a lot probably in your families. We had a little problem between me and one of my kids. And in having that little problem and that little disagreement, you know how at the very end when finally things are made right, what it is like? I remember this kid after we were all said and done, after we'd worked through everything, after it was a mess, suddenly wanted to just come up and wanted to just be near me and to snuggle. Why? Because things were Right. In fact, all of the language that Paul's about ready to use is familial. It's about family. This idea of peace does have to do with not being an enemy anymore, but this idea of peace has to do with now that we are now entering into rightness with God, especially around the idea of family. Now, the second word that's there and all of this has taken place is this word grace, one of Paul's favorite words. Now, grace definitely has within it this idea of this beautiful, loving, free act of God where he comes and, and he now grants to us salvation. But I want you to think of grace not less than that, but I want you to start thinking of it more than that. In fact, the way that this word grace is there, if you look at it, it says into this grace in which we stand. He uses two words that have to do with like what we might think of like an atmosphere. It's in something. Now, most people, I've told this before, but I, my background is in math and chemistry. I, I absolutely love being a science geek. And if you're not a science geek, then I'll pray for you. But in this, one of the things that I used to love teaching about was the gas laws and how it is that we breathe. Now, most people think that we suck in. You do not suck in. Did you know that? Okay. Actually, what happens is we live in an atmosphere that's pressing down on us. And because the atmosphere is pressing down on us, when all of a sudden the diaphragm goes down, it now creates less pressure inside of my lungs, and now high pressure gets blown into my lungs, and the reason I exhale is I create greater pressure in it, and it comes out. In other words, the only reason you can breathe here and not on the moon is because we have an atmosphere. 
Now, the idea of grace and this love and this charity that now we live in is, he's trying to tell us is that this peace that now is created between you and God, whereby which now you can be with him, now creates an atmosphere to you to breathe in his grace, to breathe in his love. And this is the way I'm going to kind of frame it for us today, for us to finally be the humans that he intends us to be. In other words, we can be the humanity that God intended from the very beginning. This is what Paul is trying to get across to them. He's trying to give this big orbed understanding that because of the work of Jesus now, we are no longer wrong with God. We are made right because of his work. And we are drawn now into this relationship in which we can now finally be the people that God intended us to be. That's huge. And I say this to us as Cornerstone where we're going in 2020. I am not going to settle for Cornerstone buying into anything other than our incredible birthright. And I'm going to do everything that I can working with all the other elders, and I know they want to do it, and the pastors, to create within Cornerstone a place where we flourish as a church in the way that God has intended us to be. Whether you're four years old or you're 94 years old, we believe that everyone is designed by God to be these incredible people that are transformed and made new because of the Holy Spirit. And I don't want to settle for anything less. This is what Paul's saying. And I think he's looking at the Romans and saying to them, and you don't settle for anything less either. Don't settle for just going through the motions. Don't settle for just somehow a verse a day keeps the Bible away. Don't settle with just these small little things. When God is not offering puddles, he's offering the ocean to us. Now that sounds great, but now watch what he does here. He calls now this the glory of God. Now we're going to talk a lot about it, but let me just frame it this way. The glory of God, everything he's moving for now is he's getting to this point where everything is pushing towards the day where we finally get to be the people he's intended us to be in new creation. And this is why we should, and here's his word, rejoice. We should wake up every morning. If you're a follower of Jesus, you should wake up every single morning and you should have a shut up moment. You should just sit there and go, no way. I have been now rescued by the God of the universe, made one of his very own, and dwelt with his Holy Spirit. I am now being transformed in the image of his son. We should look across the mirror and we should be the happiest most joyful, excited people on the planet because we are kids of the king. And let me say this, don't you dare settle for anything less. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a son or a daughter of the king most high. Your value is not tied up in the way the world looks at your value. Your value is tied up in the reality that your daddy is king of the universe. And so Paul says, rejoice. In fact, this word can be celebrate. Another way that I would put it this way is we can even boast. The word actually means to boast. And I even think this, I think one of the main reasons that we aren't as evangelistically minded as we ought to be is because we don't believe who we really are in Jesus. I think the more that I understand who I am in Jesus, I can't help but to talk about it. That's where he's getting at. Now, here's where we're going to go a little weird, though. 
Paul's now going to prove his point by taking something that is so different and so unique. He's going to take this idea now in 5, 3 through 5 of suffering. (laughs) This is what's crazy. I think a lot of us, we would think, well, come on. All the different ways in which God can transform me and make me different, the way that he's going to now bring this to the surface (coughs) of how he's going to shape me into the image of his son is he's going to talk about suffering. In fact, here's the word he uses again. He says, celebrate in our sufferings. Okay, does anybody else just go, what? Now notice he doesn't say celebrate our suffering. He doesn't say that like in the past when he said celebrate hope. He now says though, in our suffering, I want you to celebrate. And here's the question I want you to put in the back of your head. And everything that Paul's talking about and the whole goal of us being transformed into the image of his son, why is it that I can celebrate as we walk this through? Where he's gonna give us these different words. And again, I'm sorry, you can't, can everybody see those? It's a little dark, okay. Now the first word there is suffering. Let me kind of just lay it out for you. It's a Greek word. And what that word literally means is just to be pressed together, it means to be squashed, all right, to be very technical. It means like what you're talking about is from every angle and every side, the pressure just grows and grows and grows. My, one of my kiddos asked me the other day, we were over at somebody's house that had a trash compactor, and my kid said to me, hey, what would it be like to be inside of the trash compactor when it happens? And I thought, oh my gosh, I raised somebody that doesn't know about a trash compactor. But in it, the idea is of trash compactor, it just is getting pressed together. Now he adds to that now though, that when we as Christians begin to get pressed down, God is going to do something absolutely powerful. We would think that would destroy us. But remember this verse, pressed down, but not what? Destroyed, not broken. This pressing down actually does something in there. It creates this endurance, it's called, which is this Greek word, hupomone, which literally means this idea is to learn to stand up under. In other words, as things begin to get pressed down on me, God now works within me because he knows exactly how to accomplish this. And I learn now in the midst of difficulties to stand up under. And when I stand up under, something else happens to me. Here's the next word, is that this character begins to get made. Now, this word character is a powerful word. Now, we look at it and we think, okay, you know, I start to be a better person or maybe I start to look a certain way. But Paul has a different thing in mind when he uses this word for the idea of character. He uses this word dakame or dakamazo. It literally, what it means is face test. Now, what would happen back in the day when they were working with fine kind of ores and different things is they would put like silver into a pot and in putting it into the pot, they would cause it to, here's the word, suffer. And the more that that ore began to suffer, it began to separate the dross and the dross from the pressure. Here's the thing, hupomone would start to come to the surface. They would take and they would remove the dross off of it. And dakamazo, the idea was, is the guy would stand over the ore, he would look down in, and the more and the more and the more he saw that, he began to see his face. He would do it over and over again. He would grab it. He would pressure it. He would then begin to hupomone it. It would begin to separate, and it would begin to separate. Eventually, he saw his face more and more. What is God doing in us? He's passing his face test. In other words, he's going to keep doing it until he sees Jesus. Paul's whole point is here is think about it. 
Even something that we think is so bad, suffering, that's a result of the fall, something that came because Adam and Eve sinned and rebelled against God, how in the world could God use that? God can use anything because we're going to learn later in chapter 8, God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. In other words, what is he saying? You will not stop our God in shaping and molding us into the image of his son. Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you is not going to stop until the day of Christ Jesus. Now here's the question, though, we have to ask in the back of our heads. Coming into 2020, how many of us in this room want to join God in looking more like Jesus this year? Think about that for a second. Especially when it means suffering, standing up under, Takamadzo, face test. But I would say this, the reason that I think most Christians are disappointed is not because of all the amazing things God is doing, it's because we don't believe what God is doing is actually good. We don't believe it. We don't believe that the moment that we get sick, that we're sick and God has an intention and a purpose in it. He is not the author of evil. He is never the one that conveys upon us this sickness. It is the result of the fall. But everything about the fall, we cannot stop God. God even uses things like sickness and death and heartache and brokenness, no matter what it is that begins to pressure us. God uses those things to shape us into the image of his son. You cannot stop God. Everything that's going to happen this year, even the best things to the worst things that we can imagine, God is going to use all of those things to shape us and to mold us into the image of his son. And how is he going to do that? He's going to do it in such a way until finally there's this idea of hope or a certainty of God's faithfulness. God is not going to stop in it until we start to understand, I can trust you, God. This is what I want for Cornerstone. I think too often we can create churches that we don't even need the Holy Spirit in here. We create lives that don't need the Holy Spirit. But I think churches are designed to be ones that are desperate in need of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we have such a certainty in the faithfulness of God. And even at our low moments, other believers come around us and begin to shape and to talk to us and mold us and remind us of the realities of a God that can be trusted even in the midst of the darkest, most difficult times. Our God is faithful and the Bible is a track record of it. And I promise you, one day Jesus Christ is coming back. He is going to establish his reign and rule. This world will finally be righted. You can bank on that. And that's what we're at today from beginning to end our God is faithful Paul wants us just to get this this is what God is doing and it doesn't put us to shame I don't know how many of you ever had this moment like I probably about three or four years ago of all places I'm standing in the shower so don't go wrong there but I'm just standing in there and I thought oh my gosh God is this even real I mean I had this one weird weak moment is this real is this following Jesus thing real? Because, man, oh God, if it's not, I'm the biggest loser in the world because I'm telling other people to do this. I'm okay. I really do believe this thing is real. But we don't have to be ashamed. We don't have to in the least be ashamed. 
If you're a high school student that's here, you don't have to be ashamed to live the gospel on your campus because our God is winning right now in spite of everything that it might feel like. We can live differently in the world within our workplace, within our neighborhoods. We can live differently in all kinds of different forms and ways in which we're there because our God is victorious. And this year in 2020, I hope we see above all things, we have a God that cannot be thwarted. He's king. But here's the key. How does it happen? Here's the because. I want you to catch this. Because, and the word there is love, God's enduring, willing commitment to seek the good of others, that's what we used, has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. How does this work? What this is, is in this giant reality of what God's doing, he brought us near to him and created peace and grace for us to live in. But through the Holy Spirit, he draws us in. And here's the word, to go back to what Tim Keller said, we learn to dance with him. Now again, I know some of you, like I said, I'm a math chemistry back, I'm a sports guy. When somebody starts bringing up dancing, I'm like, oh, that's for like people not like me. But actually, I think it's beautiful. In other words, the love that's poured into us, we learn then how to dance, not only between us and God, but more importantly, or not more importantly, but equally, is we learn to dance with one another. We learn to dance with, if you're a wife, your husband. If you're a husband, your wife. In fact, I would say this. Let me just speak on behalf of all the kind of husbands in here. We as husbands, oftentimes we're called to lead our homes, but we lead our homes as authoritarians, not as men, coming into the lives of our wife and our children and teaching them to dance. Teaching our wives to come alive, giving them a a place in which now they can flourish inside of our home, allowing them through the power of the Holy Spirit to flourish even in the midst of suffering to become the woman or even the man that you intended them to be. Our children, oh my gosh, I've been so convicted by this. What does it look like to dance with my daughters? Oh gosh, I was praying over my children the other night, just going, oh God, they're about to become teenagers. Oh, teach me to dance with my children. Teach me what it's like as a father to be with my sons. Teach me what it looks like for me to show them how in the midst of living in this chaotic world, and let's be honest, I don't think it's going to get easier. I think it's only going to get harder and harder. God, teach me how to walk with them in such a way in the Holy Spirit that you poured into my life in this love. Teach me how to dance with them so they become the men and the women you intend them to be. God, help them to become young women. They are flourishing, young women that are strong, but aren't strong in and of themselves, but they're strong because of who they are in Christ. Help me to parent men that aren't big jerks, but instead their strength is used to cause others to flourish. I just was praying over this. God, teach Cornerstone, and this is the way I would say it. Teach us to dance. And I think first thing that comes into our mind is like West Side Story. You know? <laughs> no, teach us to love like you've loved us. And teach us to cause other people to flourish. Those of you that are women in here, I think too often within churches, we're all glad you showed up. But sometimes we don't give women an opportunity to flourish like they need to. 
God, teach us to allow the women of Cornerstone to flourish and be the women God intended to be. God, raise up men that are flourishing within the church that come and they don't just show up and get to bide their time until it's time to go watch football. No, they're in here and they're willing to love people willingly and to seek the good of others. God, would you provide for us teenagers that don't buy the lie? Would you teach them how to dance, how to go into these places and be different, that they wouldn't buy into the lies that I feel like so many of us have bought into about what we need to survive in this world? Oh, God, over Cornerstone, would your Holy Spirit cause us to dance, whether in joy or in suffering? And so in the name of the Father, who adores us, he's not just anybody, but in Romans 8 we find out he's daddy. And I don't know if you've ever seen it before, but I was just at a wedding and I saw a dad, or maybe a grandpa, I don't know, I can never tell anymore. But walk up to this little girl, and I remember just walking out there, and she kind of didn't know what to do. And have you ever seen when like dad or grandpa and the little girl or boy steps on their toes and they dance? Ah, oh, just sometimes like it's what we feel like, isn't it, with our Father? But in the name of the Father who adores us, in the name of the Son who came, enveloped himself fully in flesh, fully God, fully man, lived amongst us, showed us how to dance, and even showed us through great suffering on a cross what it meant to now create and pave a way to peace between us and the Father through the work of Jesus. And then he was buried and rose again and taught us out of this new life and what it means to live in grace. And in the name of the Holy Spirit, Cornerstone, in the name of the Holy Spirit this year, I would say it this way. Dance. Be the men and the women that God's called you to be and don't sell for anything less. Don't sell your birthright for a cup of soup. God is offering us so much this year and where we're going as a church, I know there's gonna be all kinds of reasons why we're not gonna go and not gonna take steps of faith to go join God in what he's doing. Oh, but in the power of the Holy Spirit, Cornerstone, may you dance. And all God's people said,